you would, and turn to the book of Acts, for starters. Lots of verses, we may not turn to them all. Acts 2, 23, we'll start there. We've said in this four-piece series that providence is the doctrine that insists that everything happens, everything that happens does so because God wills it to happen. He wills it to happen before it happens. That's when he foreordains, biblical word. And he wills it to happen in the way it happens. That's foreknowledge. And we are good at accepting God's sovereignty in things like our salvation, when he gives us opportunities to serve or to be soul winners and witness for him or puts things into our schedules that really bless our lives. We love God's sovereignty and providence then, but not quite as much when it's about our sufferings. At times, it's hard to get our minds wrapped around verses like Genesis 50, 19, and 20, where Joseph says, looking back on all the providence that were 13 years of negativity, he says, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And to say they meant it and God meant it, both purposed it, at the same time, divine sovereignty and human responsibility isn't always easy for us to put together in our minds. It's good for us to to remind ourselves of the definition, everything, and that's the part that's the hardest. Everything that happens does so because God wills it to happen. In our series on each one of the characters, Joseph and Ruth and Esther and now Jesus, we've taken it and looked at two things, the macro view of God's providence and the micro one, and we're going to finish out doing the same thing. Acts 2.23 gives us a big picture view of the sufferings of Jesus. Start with verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, listen to what he says, delivered up according to, underline it, the definite plan, the definite plan of God, And I'm looking at the word definite, obviously this means a word to beforehand. The definite plan of God and foreknowledge of God. So there's our two things. Foreordained, definite plan ahead of time. So God planned it ahead of time. And it happened not only as he planned, but it happened in the way, he says. Because you crucified human responsibility and killed by hands of lawless men. That's exactly how God had designed He designed it. He designed it ahead of time. And he not only that, but he designed it in the way that it should happen, that he was crucified in that way. There are two hands at work. And it's hard because faith says, when it's easy only to see the hand of man, the hand of evil, that I... Above that, overarching above that, I also see the hand of God. So did people design to kill and murder Jesus? Yes. But who ultimately was responsible for it? Who ultimately planned it? And here's the hard part. God did. God planned the suffering and death and crucifixion of Jesus. 
If you look over a couple pages maybe in your Bible to Acts 4 and verse 28. The church is going through persecution and particularly the apostles. And look how they pray because you should pray these truths when you go through these times of difficult providences. A way that is only a word that's only used to describe God's sovereignty, it's the Greek word despotes, which means despot, ultimate ruler. It's only used three times in Scripture, and here's one of them. Verse 24 of Acts 4. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Here it is, despot, sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? This is a quotation of Psalm 2, first four verses. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, meaning Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, now watch, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, they are the nations, Jews, Israel, and Pilate, Rome. They are the rulers and kings that stood up against the anointed one in Psalm 2. These are the people that Psalm 2, all those hundreds of years ago, referred to. This is the ultimate explanation and fulfillment of Psalm 2. And it says, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, and, and what did they do When they handed Jesus over and all the details we're going to look at that went with it. Why did they do it? Were Herod and Pilate responsible? Yes. Were the Israelites of that day and Roman citizens of all the nations under Rome responsible? Yes. So what were they doing? Verse 28. To do whatever your hand, see it? And your plan. Same word back as 223. So God did it ahead of time. He knew it ahead of time. He foreordained it. And foreknowledge, he carried it out in the exact same way that Scripture said it would be done. It says, to do whatever your hand had predestined to take place. God was sovereign. God was sovereign over nations. God was sovereign over kings. God was sovereign over rulers. He planned it all. So yes, There is man's hand, and there is God's hand. One author I read this week said this. Why is this, what we're talking about, why is this so important for us to grapple with? He says, if if God were not the main actor in the death of Jesus, then the death of Christ could not save us from our sins. Listen to this. The reason the death of Christ is at the heart of the gospel The heart of the good news is that God was doing it. If you separate God's activity from the death of Jesus, you lose the gospel. He's going to say a few more things. So if you think that Jesus died merely because of a human conspiracy against him, then it has no more meaning or purpose than a million other headlines about victims dying at the hands of ruthless men. Jesus was not a victim. He was the master of his own destiny and in so doing orchestrated our eternal salvation. Isn't it great? Jesus wasn't a victim. Remember he said in John 10, no one takes my life from me. What did he say? 
I give it willingly. He died for us, and that crucifixion, Scripture says, was before ordained, before the world began. Oh, that's how important it is that we grasp it, that we grapple with it, that we struggle with the truths that are hard for us to swallow. God is sovereign over suffering. He's sovereign over evil in such a way, although we don't grasp it, that he is not responsible for evil. There are three types. I put them down on my paper. When you say God is in charge of everything before it happens, and then he's in charge of everything in the way it happens, every detail, as John said. I look at three kinds, and I've experienced them all, and you probably have two to some degree. Preventative providence, I call it. When I was hmm, 14, maybe 15, I was public school, and it was my eighth grade year, ninth grade year, and a couple of friends of mine who shouldn't have been friends of mine because they weren't good kids at all, but I wasn't either at the time, so it made sense. They asked me to go canoeing on our river after school, and I said yes, until my mom picked me up, and I didn't, I, she saw me, that I had a dentist appointment that day. So it was been a, been a very rainy season. I know because it was a day or two after my birthday. And so I had to tell Troy and Mike, I'm sorry, I can't go. But another kid who was near, you know, as we were talking, was listening to us, said that he'd go in their place, my place. So we're going down in our, you know, those old custom vans. Remember those things with the real wild colors on them? So that, that we had one of those. And we're going down the road, and I look over, and Mike and Troy are getting into the canoe, and the other guy that was there is standing next to them, but he didn't get in. I don't know the story behind that. And so my mom, I said, honk! And she honked, and I rolled the window down, and I waved. I didn't think anything of it, because that was halfway toward my dentist appointment. Well, you know, 30, 40 minutes later, my dentist appointment was over, and I'm coming back, and when I passed the place of the river... There's fire trucks, ambulances, all kinds of things there. And I, I can't imagine what has happened. Where the dam was, there's a little dam in our town. And normally when you go over it, if you did, you wouldn't. It was about 10 or 12 feet high. But the water was so high that it was only about 2 to 3 feet high. So when you look at it, it looks like when you go over in your canoe, that would be a piece of cake. What they didn't know, at our age especially, is that the force of power and suction, the water was going so fast and so deep. When they went over that to try to run it, even though there are all kinds of buoys and they're not to, um, it, their canoe at the, begin, at, the, at the top of it went underwater, sucked them down, and made it go like this and turned their canoe straight up and down. They both fell out of it. And although firemen got there and they even sent out a boat for them, they both drowned and so did all three of the firemen that tried to rescue them. But see, that would have been my friends in the canoe. I would have been in with preventative providence. God keeps us from things providentially, i.e. dentist appointment. So thank you. Right? They kept us from harm. Another part I call preventative, there's also protective providence. That you get into something and God lets you get into it, but he doesn't let it harm you i.e. Daniel the lion's den, i.e. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? For me, it was on a night that we had a, you've heard me tell this, I'm going to abbreviate. 
So in our, our neighborhood back in the day when I lived in Illinois, um, we had a block party. The whole streets were blocked off. My, our job was to make the homemade ice cream. You remember when we used to do that, actually? So my job was to sit on it to keep it still, and my, my sister would crank it, and that was our job. And it got really terribly outside, terribly rain hard, super lightning, thundering, and then all of a sudden, whole down the street, all of it, hail. I mean, big size hail. I mean, coming hard and fast. And as abruptly as it came, stopped like that, which is almost eerie in of itself. And now we have a screened in porch, and I'm looking down the end of our, dro- our block where our good friends were at the end of the block, and right over the top of our neighbor's house, you know, maybe from here to the other side of the street behind our church, a tornado came right over the top of it, went right down toward our house. That's when my, I'll tell you how important the providence in detail, my sister screamed. My mom was on the phone in the hallway outside of the porch talking with a neighbor about when to bring stuff and when to do it. She heard my sister scream and saw her running into the house. When she do, did, she dropped the phone and turned like that. The tornado had already come down the street and almost like it was a car, <laughs> turned in between, on our street between our house and the other one. And a two by four from wherever else, I don't know, came right through the wall and the phone where my mom was standing. And we had a 16-foot boat in our backyard from somebody's house three blocks away. Our picture of our home was on the front page. My cat was so afraid of it that we found it three days later, and it had no hair. All of their hair had fallen out. It got so petrified. And it was walking around. It was a Siamese cat, and I didn't like it anyway, so no big But it had the only house, only bedroom in our whole house that didn't have all the windows blown out was mine. And there were $20,000, 10, $10 to $20,000 of lumber back then in our front yard that didn't have anything to do with our house. But not one person in our house had any injuries at all. But our neighbor on the other side of the street where it hit, he was killed instantly. It took his house right down. See, that's protective providence. And how in the middle of a hardship and a, and a time it could be suffering, God keeps you. And then the last one I think of is preservative providence. Where he doesn't keep you from it happening. And he doesn't really even protect you totally in it. But the providence is frowning. And I've had really bad um, bone issues, breaking bones and stuff when I was... 15, I was going out for the public high school, and I thought I was going out for public high school, but I ended up going to Christian school. That was another providence. But I didn't know it, but I had a genetic problem with my bone here, very similar to my sister, except hers was way worse. And I didn't know I had a week in that. So I went to pick up a grounder at second base on a baseball tryout, and I went back just to stand in line, and I slipped in the mud because it had been raining. And I braced my arm with my glove on. You know, your glove doesn't exactly like a hand. So it went like this, and it snapped my bone, both of my bones, completely in half to the point where my coach's wife had to hold my arm because it was coming out of my skin. It was that bad. And, and I remember all the things. I won't even tell you what they do to fix that. You wouldn't appreciate it. But you know what? All, God never kept me from it, but he kept me through it. And numerous other times I've had serious breaks, but God does all of those. But can I tell you this? He's sovereign in all those kinds of providences, all of them, all of them. 
So here, let me tell you this, my admonition tonight, don't waste your suffering. You know, in Jesus' life, read the gospel for yourself. Do you know when he was crucified, it wasn't the only time that he, people attempted to kill him. He wasn't the only time. They wanted to throw him off a cliff. They wanted to stone him more than once. And it says, weird phrases, that he walked through their midst. They don't know when someone's trying to grab you and kill you and you just walk right through them and pass on. Hard to explain. I don't understand it, but there was more than one time. But Jesus was not ordained to die by those people on that day and in that way. Can I tell you this? God is in control of all those things. Listen to this passage, Luke 21, 18. He says, and do not be afraid to his disciples, talking about witnessing, for not a hair on your head shall perish. Right? Here's what he says. You know how sovereign over detail is? When you get persecuted for standing up for me and you do what's right, let me tell you how about my providence. Not even a hair on your head which I hope if I get persecuted soon because there won't be much up there to protect much longer. Can I tell you, God says that's down to the hairs on your head. I protect you in every situation, in every way. God is sovereign. He foreordains, plans it ahead of time, and he plans it in exactly how it's going to carry its, everything out. Spurgeon, I, I love this quote. I've used it more than once. There is no maverick molecules. Uh, that's what Spurgeon says, down to the very molecule. So there, aren't, there isn't anything such as fatalism, chance, luck, happenstance. None of that exists. Everything is by God's design. Life and death and suffering of Jesus was not an accident. Everything was worked out in detail by God's plan. Isaiah 53.10, just listen. This is the passage we all know. Isaiah 53, suffering servant. Yet it was the will of the Lord, God, now speaking of Jesus, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And he has, he has put him to grief. There is no mention of Herod. There is no mention of Pilate. There is no mention of Jewish people. There is no mention of anyone else. The only thing Isaiah has to mention is God did it. God did it. God crucified Jesus. The macro view tells us those things, that all the suffering and all that Jesus went through, including his crucifixion, the beating, the spitting, the mocking, all of it was prophesied. In fact, in Jesus' death, it is said that only during Jesus' life and death, 700 prophecies were fulfilled, 700. That's detail. Micro view, real quick. Mark 14, 21. I'm going to name, I can't even tell you all of them. I got to study them this week. Thank you for that privilege. Mark 14, 21. Again, watch the two hands of providence, God's and how he uses man's. For the Son of Man, ready? God's foreordained. How does he, goes as it is, as it is written of him, Jesus, it was prophesied that he would go to the cross and die. It was prophesied in Scripture. It is ordained by God. There is no accident. It all happened by plan. But watch. But woe, human responsibility, woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is delivered up or betrayed. For an extra little bit, watch the last of it. It would have been better for that man if he had never been born. So by the way, mark it down in your Bible. That blows out completely any theories of annihilation after death. 
If all you do is die, go in the grave, and you're annihilated, and there's no future, there's no future judgment or punishment, it wouldn't have been more better for Judas to be never born. But if you die and go to hell and you suffer for that, it's better that you'd never been born because there is a real judgment day coming. May the fires of Canada and the smoke remind you of it. (laughs) But here's what it says. Jesus happened according to the scriptures. God was in control. He was control of Judas in every way. Now watch. You don't have time tonight. Go look it up for yourself. In John's gospel, this verse says this. And at that point, Satan entered into the heart of Judas. So how far is God sovereign? Well, he is sovereign over Judas and Judas's betrayal of Jesus. And if I had time, to, t- I would tell you tonight, not only did Judas do it, but he did it where God wanted him to do it, how God wanted him to do it, in every possible way. And in fact, Jesus knew it because it had been planned and he knew the plan that the Bible says, he told us, get up, we're going to go meet my betrayer is here. He knew he was coming. Right? Do you see what providence does? When you're following the story and you live in it, it gives you incredible courage and boldness. You can face any problem. You can face any trouble. Bring on the biggest frowning providences. And you can face them with courage. Why? Because you know it's all orchestrated. All the people, all the people that you face who are more powerful than you, stronger than you, they are all under God's sovereign care. All of them. Judas, Satan, they're all under God's control. Pontius Pilate, they asked him, why don't you change the titulus, the sign in Latin, over Jesus' cross. It says, make it say, he said he was the king of the Jews. God said, no, Pilate disagreed. He could have, he didn't, because he appeased them with a lot of things. That one he did not, because it says he is the king of the Jews. And God said, yep, that's staying. Even that, even that, Now, Pilate had not been a friend of the Jews at all. Joseph of Arimathea, who's a Pharisee, which he hated, all of them, came and asked for the body of Jesus. He said, yes. Why does that matter? Because if you read the book, the Bible in Isaiah 53, it says, he died with the wicked, but he makes his grave with the rich. Isaiah 53, 9. Joseph of Arimathea was very wealthy. Normally, if you have a victim in your family condemned to be crucified, when they're done, you don't leave them on the cross because if you do, animals come and birds, and I'll let you leave to your imagination for what that means. And they don't get a burial. They are laid there to rot and then thrown in an open ditch. That's what normally happens to condemned crucifixion uh, victims. Normally then, the family would come, and the family would take them off the cross and put them in their tomb. Mary and they don't have that, and they don't ask. We don't know. They don't ask for him. Non-family member Joseph of Arimathea, by the way, who for all of this time, including Nicodemus who came with him, were secret disciples. But it happens by the providence of God when no one else is going to come get him seemingly. They do, and they come out of the works, and they go public and let Pilate know, we love Jesus, can we have his body? Now, that's not an accident. And so... Joseph of Arimathea puts him in his tomb in which he had never had anyone lay in before. Because why? Because God had planned it all. All of it. 
How about the soldiers? Their action and inaction. The Bible says in three different places, once in Exodus, once in Numbers, and once in Psalms, that they will not break a bone of his. That's what it says. They normally come at crucifixion because you are on a small wooden seat turned to the side. Your arms are roped up to the cross with nails through, not the center, but here. And the reason not here, but here, is so that you can turn your hand and cusp them. And the bone between there allows you to have the nail in there, but use your hands. And they want to torture you, so they allow you to have your feet crossed over on the top and the nail go through the top of one foot all the way through the heel of the second one. And the reason all of that is, not just because it hurts to have a nail in there, they want you to be able to push up with your feet and pull with your arms so that you can breathe. Most people die of asphyxiation because they can't keep, they run out of, they get tight, their bones go out of joint, they, they, they're so hot without water, they cramp up and they can't pull up and then they die which usually, by the way, takes two to three days. Two to three days. Not to mention the fact that you're absolutely without clothes in a social place along a main road and all that goes with that. Notice this. Jesus doesn't die in two or three days. Providence, he only dies in six, day, six hours. You know why? Because he had to get in the grave to be three days, as was prophesied, and he had to be there before Sabbath started because no one else would be able to put him in there. So if he waited two or three days, all the prophecies about being three days in the tomb would have not come true. So for all that to be happened, you can't have his bones broken. So they break the guy's bones on this side of him, and that when they crush your femur, they, this right here, they break your bone. They just take an iron sledgehammer and break it. You can't push up anymore. It quickens your death. The Romans' jobs, are, the soldiers are over. And they did both the guys on the side. But because Jesus did not live two or three days on the cross in only six hours and had just already died, guess what never happened to him? He never had his bones broken, which fulfilled, fulfilled prophecy. But just to make sure Jesus was dead, Pilate said, make sure. So they take a spear and they shove it up through the ribs here. And it hits his cardiac, his, his, all this, and the water it was surrounded by his heart because of stress. And the water and blood comes out, which also fulfilled two prophecies, Zechariah 10, 12, 10, and Revelation 1, 7. And they will behold him whom they have pierced. <laughs> Can you see what I'm talking about? It doesn't matter who's in the story. Pilate, soldiers, Judas, Satan, Joseph of Arimathea. Nicodemus, not to mention John the Apostle. Did you know only one of the disciples had the nerve to come to the cross? The women were there. Even they stayed at a distance. They weren't a threat, so they weren't a bother to anybody to be there. But John came, the only one, the only one. Why? Because he had to be the one as an apostolic authority to say, I actually saw him die. He didn't swoon. He, he died. I saw him. I saw him shove the piercing. I saw him die. I saw the water and blood come. I saw him take his last breath. See, he could say, I was there. I can write to you about it. I can tell you authoritatively that he really died. He was beaten and he suffered all of that. Can I tell you this? Why would God go through all of that detail? All of those provinces, and I've only touched on them. I didn't even tell you any of the ones up until his death. Why would God do that? You know why? To save us, number one. Number two, 
He wants you to know that he's in charge of your suffering in the exact same way. The exact same way. He knows it all. He knows all the people in your life and all the difficulties for good or bad. He knows all the circumstances, all the situation, all the pain, all the tears, all the hurt, all the doctors, all the medications, all the surgeries, all of it. And where you are, who you're with, what you're going through, every detail. And he wants you to know that like he loved and his son trusted him, you can too. It's all under control. Let me close with this few lines from this beautiful poem about providence. My eyesight's far too dim, but come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by the mist will lift and plain it all he'll make. Through all the way, though dark to me, he made not one mistake. Be sure of it. No matter how dark your days, no matter how difficult your road, he will not make one mistake. Let's pray. Ah, Father, the details of Scripture, the inspiration of every word, the invisible hand that we can trace all through the life and death of Jesus, unbelievable how much sovereignty how much control you have of everything. Oh, Master, it wasn't just true of you. It's also true of us. You are the same God who is sovereign over all and over us and everything in our lives, every detail. One day, when we get to glory, we'll be able to look back and say this, though it was dark to us, Through it all, he did not make one mistake. And to that we say, blessed be your name. For it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.